Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. You can interact with us two ways, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. As always, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. So we'll get to your phone calls on a variety of topics. We'll hit on Giants OTAs, which is continuing today. But I thought it'd be also interesting to start right off the top, Jeff, the NFL having its annual spring meeting, which was a continuation of what went on a little bit earlier this year. The owners are there, competition committee, and there were a few things that were tabled for this time period from the initial meetings. Two things, the overtime rule, and they were talking about maybe putting it to a vote to tweak that because, of course, what happened to the AFC championship game, mm-hmm. that the Chiefs didn't get a possession. New England wound up going down the field and scoring. And Which, was, by the way, that was the rule that they made previously. Correct. So, I mean, so there was anything I'll controversial cry a little about tear it. about that one. I'm with you. Let's get the tissues out. <laughs> so what they ultimately determined was they're going to put it off for at least another year. And okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, as you just hit on, Jeff, what's wrong with the rule? Think about this, Jeff. If New England would have scored, or take that back, if New England didn't score and the Chiefs scored first, do you think anybody's going to be crying over the fact that the Patriots lost the game because they didn't have a possession in overtime? Don't put it in overtime. Take it upon yourself to win the game outright. And you know what? Like I said before, they're the ones that, that the league made these rules. Okay, and so don't complain about it. Now, if you want to change it, I understand there's probably and maybe you look at some of these rules and say they're a little antiquated and maybe we can make some tweaks to it. But don't complain about it. You made the rule. So now you're going to change it. Then that's fine. But listen, I, I, I have I don't have a problem with the rule. I really don't yeah, because I feel like that's the rule. If, and it's it, it's made up that way, because if you're the defensive team and you stop them from a touchdown, then you've given your own team a chance to win the football game by scoring a touchdown. If you don't, then you didn't do enough a good enough job and you lose the game, and that's exactly what happened. That's just my take on it. I don't really care how they change it, but I think they should keep it the same, to be honest with you. I'm completely with you. It's not asking much out of the defense to hold the opposition to a field goal, Jeff. Because then once you hold them to a field goal, you guarantee your offense is going to get out there on the field. You yep. can't end the game on a field goal unless, of course, it's the team with the second and let me Let's flip it around. So you win the cost, you get the ball, and the offense only scores three points, and the next turnaround, the other team goes and scores a touchdown, the offense let the defense down. Exactly. I mean, you can look at it that way, but... I think both teams, both sides of the ball have to do their job somewhat, but in regulation, do your job and win the football game. I do understand the games tie. They do, and they end in ties once in a while. Donovan McNabb never knew that when that <laughs> happened, if you remember that. Yeah, to be that, reminded. to me, was one of the craziest things I have ever heard out of a quarterback's mouth, that he did not know that that – that the fifth quarter could end in a tie. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wake-up call. Oh my in goodness! The so yeah, a lot of stuff. And what was uh, was there? Obviously, so it was the overtime rule. One. Correct. That was one aspect. So they're tabling that for another year. Mm-hmm. The other part of what came out of the annual spring meeting is they changed the rule to accommodate instant replay to now be able to look at pass interference and judgment calls. Then the rule came out, and it was worded that. Coaches could challenge, but in the final two minutes of the second quarter, the final two minutes of the fourth quarter, it would go up to the booth. The New York League office would handle any reviews of those judgment calls. Coaches wouldn't be forced to use challenges. There was a lot of chatter leading up that they weren't necessarily very comfortable with the initial ruling. So now the owners have empowered the competition committee, Jeff, to change the rule before one game has even been played so that it's all coaching challenges. 
that means that the booth will not be involved at all in the final two minutes at any time in the game. So meaning it's the onus is on the coaching staff to determine, do we throw the flag? Do we want this play to be looked at? If you have the flag left. Exactly. You don't just get an additional flag. You still need to be very decisive in terms of when you want to use your challenges. It's not like you could say to yourself, oh, well, if we use one in the first quarter, we're going to be magically able to grab another one in the fourth quarter. They're not going to give them extra looks. Well, I think that what this brings to light in my mind is that in the past, in the last two minutes of a half, in the last two minutes of a game, you can't use your challenge, your flag anyways. Now you're going to be able to use it. Therefore, that's four minutes of the game. You have to be able to, to pretty much, you know, you got to be careful. Because before, you know, there was a challenge that you were you were you were depending on the the booth to to challenge that play on their own, okay? And obviously, if, if it's going to be challenged, it was a something happened there. So you got to be real careful now. I mean, you could you throw those challenge flags out right away, and you don't have one left going into the into the very end of the game. It could cost your team a win. No, I think you hit you know it right in the nose, Jeff. Like you don't have one left. You're like, yeah. oh, you know what? I forgot about this. The last two minutes of the game, there is no more booth challenges. This has to come from me, the head coach, and I threw my last flag in the third quarter. Oh, oops. Yeah. Well, because under the current structure, with respect to anything else that you could challenge, you're right. The booth is sort of a luxury. It's a security The, bo- the booth is a silent red flag. Pretty much. I mean, it's a luxury. Yeah. 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 Where coaches are saying to themselves – Hey, it's under two minutes. At least I know there's a chance they okay. may call for a review. Has there been any discussion? And I don't know if you've talked about this or anybody's talked about this as adding an additional challenge. That I haven't heard. Now, I know a lot of people are calling for that. Yeah. That was their initial reaction. Well, now if you're going to put it on the coaching staff, shouldn't you give them an extra flag? But, you know, my feeling is, Jeff, should we be bailing out coaching staffs? Should we be bailing out teams? Doesn't discipline come into play? You just talked about discipline. Mm -hmm. So meaning you have to ask yourself, do I go after calls aggressively in the first quarter, Jeff? Or do I say to myself, I want to wait and hold on to things because they may come into play in the crucial final two minutes of the game? Depends on who you are. I think that there's two schools of thought. You got the riverboat gambler guy who's going to maybe just gamble that maybe later on I'm not going to need them. Or you're going to have your conservative guy that's going to have all three of them left in the last two minutes of the game just because. Um, If it's me, I better make sure that I have at least one of them in my back pocket for the last two minutes of the game because I'm doing my team a disservice and my fans if I don't have one by wasting it on a dumb call earlier in the first or second quarter. So, you know, back then, yeah, you can look back at games all the time and say, you know, that play in the first quarter, if it would have just went our way, we would have won the game. Not so much. In the last two minutes of the game, that has a bigger bearing on it than than a third play, an opening play in the second quarter, I believe. those players are certainly put under the magnifying glass. I agree with you there, Jeff. I mean, I would still make the argument you can make – careless mistakes in the first and the third quarter or even the second, they could come back to bite you. It depends on the play. Exactly. But you don't want to have a bonehead where you throw one out there and it's just like, you know, what, what is he doing? Why are they challenging that? Um, you know, and this is more importantly for the guys. There's, there's always a, you know, have you noticed that every team has a challenge guy? There's a guy up in the booth that he's like, he's in tune with all this stuff, replay and things like that. It makes that job, that guy's job a little bit more important because you got to have that communication back to the coach and say, you know what, coach, I don't think that we should really challenge this one. We're looking on the monitor here. It's not a go. And you want to save those challenges for the, for the end of the game. So it'll be interesting. Well, it plays into the communication channels to your point. And I wonder how of much of this that. is going to be, you know, there is no overtime in, in preseason. 
Okay, so we're not going to have that to, to, to deal with. And then the other one is the challenge flags. Are, is that going to be something, you know, are they going to they Yeah, they'll that. put that into play in the preseason yeah. so, so that but teams can te get a taste of how it. How many teams really, you know, that I think they, they'll want to have something happen so they can you know, maybe plan it out or go? So I don't know. No, I think you bring up a good point again. If I'm a coach, yeah, I want to work out the communication channel, as I was just talking about, with my coaching staff. Hey, you know what? Let's throw one out here in preseason game number three if we think it's worth looking at, just so we see the yeah, mechanism sure. and you know what we need to do and how that changes the dynamics of a game. And I would go a step further, Jeff. If you're a relatively new coaching staff, I think there's even more importance to try to throw out a flag and see how the process plays yeah. out. Because you know mm -hmm. Pat Shermer and his staff at least have had a year to understand the communication, but at this time last year, he was still working out with his staff, Jeff. Yeah. Hey, who's going to be the extra set of eyes upstairs? Who's going to be the guy that looks at the monitor to decide whether or not we actually should throw the flag here? If you're a new coaching staff, I mean, the Jets, for example, with Adam Gase, I, I want to have opportunities in the preseason sure. to do that. Yeah, who knows? It's, it's definitely that's what's intended for it is, is these new rules, and they implement them in training camp, and you want them to be used, and the guys want to see how it works. You know, I just think it's interesting, and I'm curious your perspective, Jeff. The fact that this rule is already being changed before one game has been played, doesn't that make it seem like there was a rush to appease to what happened in the NFC sure. Championship game yeah. and the Saints fan base? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's it stopped the chatter. Let's put an end to this. It did. <laughs> you know? I think well said. And now, well said. And now that everything, the draft is over, free agency is over, and we're getting closer and closer to the regular season, let's slowly reintroduce this again. Reality and, has been restored. That's right. And so I think that's what happened. Yeah, no, I know. I think you summed it up beautifully, <laughs> Jeff, because that was my initial reaction. My initial reaction was, don't you want to experiment in the preseason with the current setup? Yeah. Meaning the booth is involved in the final two minutes. See what happens. If you don't like how it works out, Jeff, then you know what? You can always tweak it starting week one. I just, the fact that they're not even going through the experimental phase leads me to believe there were a lot of people, I think, on the fence. And, and I don't think this is anything we're speculating about. I, I think there was a lot of debate whether or not the competition committee should give the green light to teams to be able to review judgment calls because there was a lot of terminology about is this opening up Pandora's box mm -hmm. Jeff are we getting into a, wow. a whole can of worms here where you're not going to be able to recover there's going to be borderline plays it's interpretive we're getting away from X's and O's so a lot of people I know were on the fence but this to me further shows how much they were on the fence now, especially the judgment calls I mean I think that there's a fine line here that once you cross it and, be, and begin to to start taking the judgment calls and putting it in the hands of the coaches saying, you know, this, this, this is pass interference, definitely. Now you're kind of second-guessing the referees in the game, and I think it's just it's a whole can of worms is what it is. Well, and you know this from being on the field. There's a distinct difference, Jeff, in my opinion. You have the play between the wide receiver and the corner going full yeah. speed on the field sure. as the ref is seeing okay. it. Then you go to the replay. Monitor, oh, it's different. Jeff. And you slow it down. You go mm -hmm. frame by frame. Is that or are we getting to the point where that's not the play anymore? Well, the thing about it is, is when you slow things down, who does it benefit? Does it benefit the defensive player that's that just got question. called for a defensive pass interference? And now that you slow it down, it shows that oh no, it really wasn't. But in real time, it was. Um, vice versa, you know, was it holding? Was it holding by the offensive lineman? Well, in quick time, yes, it was. But in slow time, you know what? Actually, he wasn't even grabbing him. 
So maybe that does. I mean, it's all I'm looking at here is the games going from three hours and four minutes on average or whatever they are to get into a game that's going to be three hours. And even if it's nine or 10, 12 minutes, it makes a difference to the networks. You know, those those games, they do, they do not want to have those games take long. And when you start doing this kind of stuff, it's just going to prolong the game. Well, I mean, that's going to be something that they're going to have to monitor, and I'm sure that's going to call for more change if it does tend to hold up games a little bit more. I think maybe that's the rationale, Jeff, why they want to put the pressure on the coaching staffs to throw the challenge. Because if you're up in the booth, well, that's, that's don't you have the reason to now make stoppages every five seconds because you want to make sure the play was right? Well, it's going to be NBA basketball again. Two, the last two minutes of the game. Or NCAA like, college basketball, yeah, too, which is yeah. like that. Yeah. So I think there's a lot, of, a lot of talking points to this. And... I, you know, obviously, it's not going to get, it's not going to be taken care of. But I, it's, it's we got to, we got to think about some of the ramifications. And I, I, it's longer games. And I think you're right. If you, I, I like it in the hands of the coaches. I, do I, I don't, I'm, I don't I'm think in favor that, of that. I don't think that you know, you got these guys in New York where they're, they're sitting with the button. They're just waiting to, to find a play because they're yeah. not doing anything other than that. It's like a kid in a they toy room. Be, yeah. They should go play golf on Sunday <laughs> and not worry about hitting the red button, watching all these games. Like, there's, there's a pass interference. Hit the button. Hit the button. Yeah. Lance, hit the button. <laughs> No, you're right. I think you'd have that itch. You'd have that urge. And I think if I'm in that room, I would have the mindset, I want to be overly cautious. Jeff. Of course. That's meaning what they're all going to My job be. is on the oh, line. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I don't want to miss anything, meaning we're going to look at everything. And that's why, yeah. to bring this full circle, I was talking on my serious show with the VP of officiating formerly at the CFL. And the Canadian Football League implemented this already. But I asked, well, why did you decide to have coaches' challenges as opposed to you up in the booth looking at all the judgment calls? Perfectly good question. And his response was exactly what we were just talking about. If I have the guy in the booth in charge, he's going to look at everything Mm -hmm. because his job is on the line and he doesn't want it to come back to him that Mm -hmm. he missed anything. If you put it on the coaches... You're now saying, hey, you've got to now look through the lens very carefully. And then teams can't come back to the league and say, how'd you miss that? Well, you have the challenge. It's your duty to save the flag for this moment. So that's why I like that structure a lot better than the booth being in control. Yeah, and I I think that, you know, the, the NCAA does a good job as far as how quickly that they rule on some of these plays. I mean, I love watching college football. Period. But I think with the reviews and stuff, it's it works for for college football. They're they're quick, they're decisive, and I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of time. Some of these NFL reviews, it's just absolutely ridiculous because and, you're looking at every camera angle, and they're looking at every camera yeah. angle. And guess what the NFL is doing at that point in time? Why they're looking at every camera angle, and they're at commercial. They're just adding up the commercials, adding up the commercials. Ding ding, ding, ding. Yep, yep. you know. Cha-ching. So, yep. yep. But I think that it's, it's the intent is to. Get Get the game right, and that you know when you see plays like the New Orleans game, um, you you want to have the game be officiated correctly, and you want to have mistakes that are are blatantly not non calls to make sure that they come back and they are called, and that's going to be up to the coach. One other notable change before we open up the phone lines, Jeff, with respect to scheduling game management. Interestingly, they changed now the times of the Sunday games in divisional weekend. It used to be one in four forty. They're now having it the same time as conference championship weekend. They're moving the games back just on Sunday, not Saturday, because Saturday they're already late starts to three and six thirty p.m. Eastern, just like the conference championship weekend. <clears throat> and part of that is the rationale: it's hard to put a West Coast game at one p.m., whereas now you could very well put a West Coast game at three 
because, yeah, because that's, that's a new local time, local which is not terrible. Off, which is normally the what they families. kick off anyway. Exactly. So that was really part of the ammunition. Because yeah. I remember it. when I played in uh, Arizona, you know, we had some of those games where we were traveling across the country and, and we were playing at 10 o'clock, those 1 o'clock games. 10 o'clock. I mean, you, you start, don't think yeah. it's a big deal, but it really is because typically, I'll give you an idea. In the NFL, most teams, almost all the teams, you have pregame meal four hours before kickoff. So you can do the math, okay? So if it's one o'clock game, nine a.m. Nine a.m. You're eating. Well, listen, if you're from Arizona coming out east, and this is why teams don't do very well, okay? You're you're now eating breakfast <laughs> at six o'clock <laughs> in the morning, five in the morning, oh, yeah. okay? And then going to your whole thing, it's and your your clock is messed up. Not to mention when you get here to New York, the the problem, the biggest problem for me was getting to sleep. Because you're three oh, hours imagine. behind. So all of a sudden now on your clock, you're normally, you go to bed at, let's just say you're young, you, you go to bed early, 9, 30, 10. You can't get to sleep when you come here no. until 1, 32. Guess what time you're waking up New York time? You're now on that, that clock again. And so it's a tough turnaround. Now, two hours, fast forward to two hours for, it makes a little bit of difference. It really does. Oh, of course. I mean, Especially the importance of the postseason too to try to accommodate for yeah. the West Coast teams. Yeah, but I mean, and I, again, when you go out in, out west, it's a little bit crazy too because I remember when we years ago we had the West Coast swing. I call it where we played we played uh, we played the Raiders, we played San Francisco, and we also played um, San Diego. All of those teams we went out there and played that year, and we were waking up on Sunday morning at a one o'clock, twelve o'clock game there. Okay, our clock. We were up at four in the morning. Oh, because of the late, yeah, <laughs> I start. Mean, it was like crazy. Um, so it's just a, it. I, I like it though. I like it. That takes a little bit of use and getting used to for some of the fans. Um, but you know, a three o'clock game. So you're saying like even the New York Giants, if they play a Sunday. In conference is it in, out of conference game? It could be a three o'clock game. Well, here. this is not the regular season. This is just the just postseason. Playoffs. Correct. We're just talking about the, That's, the I postseason. I didn't mean that, but yes, that yeah, means the, okay. The so. Sunday divisional weekend games, okay. which were normally one p.m. and four forty p.m. Eastern, yeah, yeah. three and six thirty okay. now. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And it reminds me of actually this season, if memory serves me correct, Jeff. On that Sunday, it was Patriots Chargers. It was that noon game, or the right. one o'clock game rather. So. You had now New England didn't have an adjustment because you they were home on the East Coast. But for the Chargers, to your mm -hmm. point, mm -hmm. they're coming over to the East Coast. They're on West Coast time. It's a lot earlier for them now. Exactly. And I'm not saying that was the reason they lost. Yeah. There were a lot yeah. of other things. That's not a valid yeah. excuse. But this is what I'm sure the league is taking into consideration. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. So that's something. So those that are the three big things came out of. So the they didn't eliminate meeting. the punt. That was good. They, okay. So we're still that's well still and good. good with the uh, punt. Yes. All is well <clears throat> with respect to special teams, at least at this point. Want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. He's Jeff Eagles. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in on yeah. Thursday's edition of the show. Let's open up the lines at two zero one nine three nine four five one three. We've got John on Long Island. He gets us going. What's happening, John? Hi, John. Hey guys, how are you? Doing all right, John. What do you have for us? So I. I got a quick question. Um, so, again, I don't know how big of a part this plays, but I'm curious about how the cohesion with the players are. Um, I know we got rid of players like OBJ and Vernon and Snacks, but mm -hmm. I'm curious to see because these guys are more than just teammates. These guys are brothers. And a snap of a finger, they're all gone. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious to see. I don't know if you guys are actually out there watching practice, but well, do you think it affects them mentally and, you know, just knowing that, you know, one second they're OBJ's teammate, and now they're 
they're not even in New York anymore. Listen, I, I, I can't can't speak for anybody that's out on the field because I'm not there. I'm not in the locker room, but I can only I can only speak from experience with my career. And I will tell you this. At first, it's a little bit of a shock when something like this happens. And but the, the players take notice. OK, and a lot of times, sometimes there's a sacrificial lamb. Now, I'm not saying OBJ was a sacrificial lamb or any of these guys, but I'm just just kind of following me with this. You kind right. of take it. And you kind of like the, the organization sometimes does these things for good and they want to send a message through the locker room. OK, and mm -hmm. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. However, I will tell you this, even though this is a team sport, every one of those guys in the locker room, they're out for themselves as far as their their careers and their families and the money that they make and the and the and the advancement of their career. So they can't get caught up in all that. They just got to let it go, and they can still be friends outside the organization. I read a, I read a quote from yesterday. It was yesterday or the day before from Janoris Jenkins, and somebody had asked him that question about when Snacks left and these guys left, and you know what he said? He says, listen, I, 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 I wish them the best of wherever they went, but I'm, I got to just play. I got to be, I got to be Jackrabbit. I got to play and I got to show up and, and do the best I can here and not worry about that kind of stuff. So I think at the beginning, it's a little bit of a, of a, a shocker, but now as time goes, like they always say, time heals. I think it gets, get, the further you get down the line, the more the new guys start to get together and they try to, to reinvent kind of the culture that's going on in this locker room towards the better cause. And that is going to win more football games. I hope that answers your question. And John, the, yeah. the other thing that's related to that is also because of the turnover on the roster. You have to understand Vernon and snacks were never teammates with Antoine Bethay and Jabril peppers. Those guys weren't even here. So, I mean, as far as them leaving the team, it has no effect on them. The young corners, all of these guys who were just drafted weren't on the team. Sam Beal was here, but he wasn't on the field playing mm -hmm. last year. So there's a lot of new faces on the defensive side of the ball that I don't even think it's a thought for them because they weren't teammates with Vernon or Snacks. And real quickly, John, the one thing you don't want to have as you want, you don't want to have this lingering where guys are constantly talking about it. You know, you got to pick up and move on. And I think that's where some chemistry and leadership comes into effect with the newer guys in the team that they're they're here to, to replace those guys, both from a positional standpoint, but also from a leadership standpoint. And you move on. OK, that offensive line. OK, you know that I know that didn't get rid of anybody on there that was, you know, other than flowers that was during the season. But the fact is, you got some new guys in there. They're kind of creating their own little culture, if you will, in the in the offensive line room. But but like like Lance said, you move to those cornerback positions. That's a whole new different ball game out there. The safeties are different. You got two new corners. Um, you got uh, some Haley. New linebackers. Too. Yeah, Marcus you got a Golden. lot of change yeah. there. And you just want to stop dwelling on the past and go for the future. Right. And if you guys have time, I actually got a second question. Sure. So uh, once OTAs start, you know, I'm sure everybody gets crazy with, you know, looking up stuff and going for info. But um, I've noticed a lot of teams are ranking us so low. And I really think we could be like an 8-8 eight and eight team. Mm -hmm. And I know we got rid of like these legendary, not legendary, but uh, high-quality players. But some of these players were injury-prone, and we got some solid starters from them. And I'm just curious to see your opinion on why do you think, you know, like ESPN, every, everybody's, you know, ranking us so low? Mm. I, well, they were well, only won five the games call, John, last year. And thanks so much for weighing in. Um, the, def the defense was, you know, really bad last year. Um, I think that this team is still got a ways to go. And I think, and listen, I think that's a great position for the Giants to be in because they kind of, they always, they always seem to do better when they're the underdog. I think this team 
historically, when somebody comes out and tells them how good they are, they turn around and stink it up. So I think this is more of the, you got something to prove. And right now you got something to prove. The rest of the world's telling you that you're going to win five or six games next year or whatever it is. Um, go out and win more. Well, this is a team that hasn't made the playoffs very often in recent history, just 2016. To your point, we're talking about a team that won five games last year. There's a lot of changes on this team, and I think with changes, Jeff, come even more question marks. That doesn't mean that there's not a positive sure. outlook, but you know, what is the secondary going to produce? A lot of young faces, guys that have, have no NFL experience. That, mm -hmm. that comes with intrigue, but at the same time, it comes with perhaps some ups and downs and yeah. the learning curve of rookies. You look at the pass rush. This is a pass rush that only had 30 sacks last season. Did they add some new faces? Yes, but still guys who are unproven and haven't necessarily piled up a great deal of sacks during the course of their careers. Yeah. I mean, B.J. Hill is essentially the leading guy now at five and a half <laughs> sacks from last season. So I, I can understand why nobody's necessarily crowning this team. That doesn't mean there's no upside once again. But, sure. you know, to expect a team with five wins last year for people to project them as the winner of the division and a powerhouse in the NFC, I think may be asking for too much. Now, in fairness, the caller was talking about eight and eight projection, which I don't think is crazy. And I think the Giants could very well surprise people. But I think a lot is going to depend on how f how they fare in the division, Jeff. And, yeah. and if you look at the divisional yeah. record over the last few seasons, ah. with the exception of 16, I mean, this team has Horrible. struggled to even get to three and three in the division. Right. If they don't take care of business in the division, listen, all bets are off at that point. Yeah, you got to be four and two in the division to, to really to do something. It also goes to show you what everybody thinks about Eli Manning. And that, I think that has a big thing to do with why this team is picked to not do well. Because when you look at the, at the, uh, the skill positions, this team is pretty, pretty good at skill positions other than what they think the quarterback. So we'll see what happens there. Let's head back to the phone lines. Let's check in with Frank in New Jersey. Frank, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? What's up, Frank? Hey, fellas. How you doing today? Good. Doing very well, Frank. What's happening? Excellent, excellent. I got a question for you, if I can. Sure. The league just implemented uh, training camp rules, no Oklahoma drills, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I saw yeah. that, yeah. I mean, I, I can see Bud Wilkerson turning over in his grave. Of course. Uh, just <laughs> real quick. Uh, for those who don't know, the, the Oklahoma drill is a one-on-one. -on -one, a quarterback hands the ball to a, um, a running back. Then you have one-on-one -on -one he's trying to get through. So it's a test of power, strength, tackle, and ability. You know, it translates to Sunday. Uh, beat or get beat. So I don't understand. I mean, uh, what's going on? Okay. <laughs> one word. Safety. Yeah. That's it. Um, because you know the, you know the drill. A lot of the older old timers know the drill. Some of the newer guys don't know the drill because they've eliminated at the junior level of any of these any of these kind of drills anymore. The Oklahoma bull in the ring, all those things that you do, um, those can all be done, by the way, but you don't do them with outside of five yards. Okay, I, when I was coaching junior football, we did all those things, but you know what? You just brought the drill in. You don't have to go ten yards away and have these guys hit. You could do it within five yards and still get the same amount of power, you know, and, and, and technique and things like that. So it's all about safety. It's all about player safety. It's all about keeping guys healthy. It's all about getting those 53 guys to be healthy on Sunday and also to get them healthy when their careers are over, that they're not doing the bull in the ring in the Oklahoma because those are some those you can get some nasty hits to the head with those. That's what's happening. Plus the play, you know, I tell you what, the, the, the union, the players union doesn't want them. They're like, we're not doing, we're not letting these guys do this anymore. The coaches probably would love to do it. 
Because yeah, that toughness and that that old mentality of well, this because is limited practices and, too. Yeah, yeah, the physicality and there's a bunch of players that would tell you they stood out in those drills, and that's a big reason why they ultimately made the team. But you hit it right <laughs> on the nose, Jeff. It's the safety. It's the emphasis on safety, Frank. That's the rationale behind yeah. why they're eliminating some of these drills, why they've changed the structure of the entire offseason program overall, and that's yeah. going to be the continued movement moving forward. It's it just the only thing that bothers me is every one of these drills translates on the field almost every play you're doing that same drill yes they I, you're exactly right okay but i will tell you from being out in practices these days and how the game has changed they have drills they have these they have other apparatuses if you will they've got these donuts that you for tackling drills things that you can still get technique work from but without the safety issue okay and can i follow up sure. with what on otas yeah um, there seems like just a, a handful of players that don't show up for OTAs. Mm-hmm. And either it's contract-related, money-related, star-related, who the hell knows why. But it's only a handful. So I guess the question is, the coaches say the right thing. Hey, it's in, this, it's in the CBA, it's voluntary. Mm-hmm. But they want these guys to be here for of obvious course. reasons, course, for, them, yeah. for their part. So why is it one or two guys on every team that seems, well, except for ours, of course, now that we have culture building, that, that pull this crap? Well, I mean, <laughs> well, listen, I, I think that if you go industry-wide with some other you know, professions, there's not going to be 100% participation from all of your employees ever. I mean, the problem is you, hit, you, you actually answered your own question, in my opinion, right at the beginning. You know, it's contracts. It's, it's ego. It's things like that because, you know, there are some players and there are some organizations that say, you know what? We don't care if you don't come to these. We know that you're going to play on Sunday and you want a new contract. We're not giving you one. Well, you know, there's a little struggle there. And you know what? That's, that's what happens. So I think a lot of it is that. I think sometimes the media gets a hold of why so-and-so isn't at the OTA. Well, they don't know that he's um, having something, you know, there's something in his family that he has a funeral to go to. They don't just come out and say those things. There's a lot of things happening behind the scenes that people don't know about. But for the most part, there's always struggles. And that's ego. And that's usually money and contracts and things like that. Well, the other thing I think that's important to note here is with the new rules, remember, there's limited contact between coaches and players during this time period. That's correct. You can only do so much. So some guys are of the mindset, Jeff. If I work out on my own, I'll get a lot more accomplished because I'm not going to be really missing out if there's limited interaction that I could have with my coaching staff to begin with. That's correct. The only thing they're really missing out is the quality time in the playbook 100%. and implementation, yeah, implementation of all the stuff like that. Yes. But in terms yeah. of the working out right, and right. all of that other stuff, some players feel if I go to my own gym, I work yes. out with my own positional guy, yep. meaning an offensive lineman guru, mm-hmm. a quarterback guru, I'll get a lot more done. I'll be much more active than necessarily being with the team. And the other thing I'll add to this, Frank, I, I understand it's a, it's a talking point now, and it is a fair question, but Frank, when was the last time that you got into week five of the NFL regular season and you thought back about who on your team missed an OTA in May? Yeah, I, When I, was the last time you brought that up? <laughs> and you know what, Frank? I'll tell you that an easy way to get around this, is, and this is, I, I will tell you this is a big, a, this is a big part of it. When, when, a, when a team signs a, a free agent or even a, a, any player, they put workout. You hear, see those workout bonuses? Oh, he's got a $200,000 workout bonus. That workout bonus is for the offseason starting uh, April something and ending June whatever. You know, you're required. That's how they, that's how they make you. Well, they don't make you do anything. They give but, you an incentive. But if you want your $200,000 workout bonus, you're going to be here from X to Y. And, be, and guess, guess what? 
The OTAs are falling in that time frame. That's how they'll make sure that guys are here because all the almighty dollar drives oh, yeah. most of this industry. And so if somebody's smart enough with their money, they're not going to sit out and not, they got to have a hundred, like 98% uh, attendance is what there's like, there's numbers in there. To I remember, that. I remember I had, I had it for it. I didn't really need it because I was here all the time. But the fact is that things happen. You've got weddings to go to, or you have something where you, you know, you can't be here 100% of the time. So they make it 98%. And that 90, that 2% is, Hey, you know, Lance is getting married and we're going to have to go there. And I have to, I can't be there on that Thursday. And I, and they usually get you to make it up. Like most of the time there's a Monday through Thursday workout and Friday you have off. So you have a three day weekend. Well, the strength coach is still here on Friday. So if you miss a Wednesday, you can make it up on a Friday because they give you a chance to, Swap to, to earn that money. Exactly. So that's, it's a good question. I don't think it'll ever be answered, but why 100% of the guys aren't here. But I think there's just like anything, there's always a struggle with money and ego and things like that. And appreciate Guys, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks you for too, taking you got it, Frank. And you have yeah. a great day. You got You're it. Welcome. Thanks so much for uh, weighing in. And uh, I think it's an interesting conversation. I've had this conversation on multiple shows. And I, I think it also is a reflection, Jeff, as somebody who's played this game, you could certainly relate to this, you know, the non-guarantees of contracts in the National Football mm -hmm. League. I think, you know, part of it is the agent getting in your ear, hey, you need to have a leg up on the team, use your leverage. If you show up, then maybe you don't necessarily have that in the negotiating period. So, you know, that plays into it too. And no, it I, I think that if contracts were guaranteed in the National Football League, I think the mindset <laughs> of the agents and the players is going to be a lot different, and that would completely chan change the landscape landscape of this game well first of all if you're gonna the guarantee money goes to a guy that you know is going to be here you know i'm not giving a guaranteed contract to somebody like lawrence taylor who i don't think is ever going to show up for anything you know so that goes it goes back that far and you've got to be careful with who you hand those guaranteed contracts at to and those guaranteed contracts go to guys with ex, with have experience okay this guy's always been in the weight room he's always been at ota he's always been here or there you know so those kinds of things but it's interesting because yes you do not have to be at them and the coaches um, they're all going to tell you that it would love 100% attendance, but they can't get out there and say, you know, I'm very, very disappointed that that guy's not here. Well, they're all disappointed, okay? But they don't, you know, you can't really tell them that you can't, you know, CBA you need to be here. Them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, union regulations, they negotiated that's, that. And, that's and right. part of the negotiation was this is the voluntary period. So, yeah, and, and, if they, and I tell you, if, 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 if anybody ever found out that coaches were making guys come oh. and were finding them, because they weren't here. I mean, I don't think it ever happened. But if it did, man, it would all, you know what would hit the fan? It would be bad. Well, the union would have some talking <laughs> points. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Let's head back to the phone lines. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, welcome to the program. What do you have for us? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Doing well, Scott. What's happening? Uh, uh, I was on yesterday's broadcast, and I was uh, talking with uh, – uh, uh, excuse me, uh, John and uh, Paul. My condolences, we by the way. We were talking about Daniel Jones. <laughs> and uh, Dave Gettleman, in his post-conference, made a specific point uh, when he drafted Jones that need would meet, would meet value, or it was, he was happy to see that need finally met value, words to that effect. And there was a discussion yesterday about whether uh, Daniel Jones would actually be the backup to Eli or potentially Alex Tanney would. And I was looking back, and all the draft picks in the first round that the Giants made since 2000 started at some point in the season. Uh, now, granted, there was only one quarterback drafted, but uh, all the players that they drafted wound up starting at some point in the season. 
My question really is a basic one. Is if need meets value and, and uh, Jones does not say even dress for the first three games, would that same that same philosophy be held in abeyance, in other words, or are we making an exception if he doesn't? I'm not saying that he's going to develop the same way other quarterbacks do, because last year, obviously, the quarterbacks that were drafted, all of them started at some point, and they were all drafted basically in the first round, Baker Mayfield. Well, and uh, the team Donald scenarios Baker. were different, though, Scott. And you the know, team also... I agree yeah. with that, yeah, exactly. That's a big part of the conversation. I, I mean, I'm trying to understand the gist of your question. I don't think if Daniel Jones doesn't get a jersey the first three games, I don't think that's any reflection of the value of the pick. Because once okay. again, they're not drafting Daniel Jones for 2019. They're drafting Daniel Jones, Scott, long term, that he's ultimately okay. going to be the franchise quarterback. So you can't just look at it as instantaneous gratification immediately. And I would not be surprised if Alex Tanney does make the roster and let's say they do have him as the backup for maybe the first two weeks and then by week four, Daniel Jones takes over. Yeah. The, the depth chart changes week to week, Scott. Just right. because a guy is third on the depth chart week one doesn't mean he's going to be third the entire season. Week two, it could completely be a different setup. That happens. Okay. Yeah, and then that's the probably uh, makes me feel a little bit better because again, you know, I'm looking at that need value formula that uh, Dave Gettleman created, and when you look back, all the Giants that he that were drafted did start. So that's why I was just curious as to how the Giants rate that, or if he was a long-term issue that they were looking at, et cetera. And I was just trying to get clarification in that regard. Well, I think if you back out the the quarterback position. I think the formula, to Dave Gettleman's credit, is working. And okay. it should be working. Well, because I think those guys have a better opportunity again on the field. Yeah. There's only one quarterback yeah. on the field at any given Correct. time. So, you know, if you draft an offensive lineman, a linebacker, yeah, in all likelihood he'll probably start a game because of injuries, opportunity. Mm -hmm. You have Eli Manning, barring injury, Daniel Jones is unlikely to get on the field. So mm -hmm. I, I think to Jeff's point, Scott, the quarterback to me has to be treated differently when you evaluate the immediacy of the return compared to other positions. Okay. Um, my last point, and I'll be glad to take it off the air. Uh, the the rest of the division didn't stand still in the draft. They've, uh, in fact, I'm kind of eager to see how players work out, like Dwayne Haskins, and how Washington works out, and what's going to happen in Philadelphia, etc. But looking at the Giants unit right now, uh, as you see the players that have been assembled, and obviously they have to become a, a coherent both offense and defense. But looking at the personnel at the old leagues, and really it's hard to judge at this point this early in the season, but how would you think the Giants actually stack up against, say, the Philadelphia, Dallas, and Washington teams as they're assembled right now? And I know it's very, you know, it's very early in the season, but I was just curious what, what your reactions were to the other teams because they obviously have to win their division. And thanks, guys. I appreciate the time. Hi, Scott. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much well, for uh, giving uh, us you a don't Typically, you don't have to win your division. I mean, you could be a pretty darn good wild card team and still do it, but... The easiest I, way to get it to the postseason. The easiest way. I, you know, I, I think at this juncture, it's, it's hard for me to tell because I, I, I don't, you know, I haven't gone down and looked at every draft pick that, they, that all, all the teams in the divisions have made and then compare them to who, who the Giants got. But I think that, the, in, my, in my opinion, the Giants have improved to a point that they're going to compete a little bit better than they did last year because... 
talk about the need and value. I think they got a lot of it in their draft picks this year to be able to to go in and fill some of the spots. Free agency they did, and I also think that this team has now created a little bit more depth than they've had in the past, which is going to help them long-term with injuries and guys that aren't playing very well. You now have an option at some of the backup position that you believe can compete and will have, and you actually believe that the guy can play. That's a big thing. Specifically, I would say, Jeff, on the offensive line, there's, there's no depth, question to and there's me. competition in multiple positions on the offensive line. Absolutely, and I, I feel like you know the offensive line. What I'm so impressed about is that, and again, I'm a big veteran guy. I'm a big you know experience means a lot in the National Football League, especially at those positions. And I feel like. When you have experienced veteran offensive linemen who have been in the trenches, who they know the game, um, that can only help you. And I mean, it really helps immediately. I look at, at Zeisler or whatever the heck his name is. <laughs> Zeisler. And, and, and now you've got the heck uh, is <laughs> Remmers, okay? And you've got Nate Solder. Those are three veteran offensive linemen out of five. Okay, and now you've got a young guy in Hernandez who's coming in, has had a year under his belt, who's a mauler anyways. Um, he's he's getting even better. That, that offensive line is going to do some things, and that's going to help the offensive production, running game, everything. And you have depth at wide receiver, guys battling for that third and fourth wide receiver you know, spot, running back too, I think. Yeah. Paul Perkins is back. Rod Smith is now. So to your point, I think you can make an argument. There's depth, there's competition at multiple positions. I think getting back to Scott's question, Jeff, about – where mm -hmm. would you stack the Giants compared to the rest of the division at this point? I would say the Redskins and the Giants, to me, have more question marks than the other two teams. And, and the rationale being is yeah. simply Dallas and Philadelphia are returning most of their core mm -hmm. from two teams that made the playoffs. I think it's fair to give them the edge sure. when you look at the personnel that they're working with. And Amari Cooper's going to have an entire offseason with Dak Prescott. Remember, he was arriving at the trade deadline. Travis Frederick, I saw, is back on the field. The key center for the Cowboys that they lost all of last season because of an illness. You know, the defense is pretty much intact. Leighton Van Der Esch had a very good season. Philadelphia added to the front seven, specifically mm -hmm. the defensive line. Deshaun the secondary is getting healthy. Whereas the Redskins, you don't know how the quarterback situation is going to play out. The offensive line was banged up last year. Darius Geis is coming back. Remember, he was the rookie running yep. back who missed all of last season. Questions at the wide receiver spot. They drafted Dwayne Haskins' teammate McLaurin out of Ohio State. What happens with Paul Richardson, Josh Doxson's development? I, I would make the same case with the Giants. Some new faces, some old faces, Perfect. some guys returning from injury. So I would say Cowboys and Eagles deserve, just based on paper, to have an edge. Agree. And, and it's not, you know, not loving the Giants or the Redskins. It's just, I mean, that's the reality of the sure. situation. I agree. Right? I, Change 100%. comes with unknown and questions. And that's how I see the division. I think the two teams that made the playoffs last year come with less question marks than the other two at this point. I agree. And we're going to have to see how training camp plays out and how the health department plays into all of this. But I, I think, to me, that's how I would best characterize the division right sure. now. Let's head back to the phone lines. Dave is in Cranford. Dave, welcome to the program. What do you have for us? Great to talk to both of you guys. Um, you know what, it, it, which is nice. Just continuing on that same discussion is really what I wanted to get your input mm -hmm. from. And it, it, it may sound funny, but if you go back to um, the Dallas Cowboys when they played uh, the Rams in the playoff game this year, and if you remember, it was very unique because you normally don't hear this a whole lot in, in football. But, um, you know, if you remember the game, they ran all over the Dallas defense, like to like 200 and, you know, like they yep. just ran the ball down their throat. 
And as they interviewed the players, the offensive linemen, after the game, they talked about watching film and being able to predict how Dallas was going to attack them and line up based on their on their on their lineups. And and the the reason I, I just make reference to it, um, they actually asked the Cowboys, and they kind of you know obviously downplayed it, but. Um, I went back and looked at the two giant games for, for Dallas that we played last year based on that information, and it was fascinating because you could see it. You know, what they were basically saying is depending on how the the one technique, the guy over the center was shading uh, in his gap because Dallas, their defensive line, minus Lawrence, their defensive line is really built around stunts and 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 shifts and you know and they, they did that against the Gi- Giants the first game yeah. remember yep I mean Jeff if you go back a hundred percent we we could not I mean it was oh it was annihilation frustrating. oh my God yeah yeah we we couldn't handle a simple stunt I mean high school stunts I mean mm-hmm. guys just looping around and and guys following them and 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 all of that and so to your point Jeff in terms of the experience on the line but. But if you go back and look at that, you, you, you see, once I, once I looked at it through that lens, I, I couldn't believe how many times you could predict how the line was going. Basically, you could predict when they were going to stunt and when they weren't. And what the Rams did was they used those stunts against them because they knew the guys were going to shoot the gaps. They let them shoot the gaps. They pushed them around. And the running back then had a, a basically a clear sight to the next level. And, and I guess my, my point is is that I think that the thing, if I was looking at the roster across the board, I think the offensive line, more than almost any other position on the field, you know, you go and maybe, you know, take quarterback, it's a whole other position. But, but you know, take getting a great receiver, take getting a great running back, take getting a great pass rusher. You know, they may be very influential in one area of the game, but the offensive line – you know, can influence so much of of that game of in terms of they impact the running game, they impact the passing game, they impact your they they impact your ability to to have ball control, they impact your four minute drill in terms of being able to run the clock out at the end of a game. There's so much that they do, and so that to me is the one area that if I was to be positive going into the year and to look at the division. I guarantee you the Giants, if I'm aware of watching that tape and what went on with the Rams, I guarantee you someone from the Giants is more aware than that. And not that Dallas isn't going to adjust because they better or they, they probably will, but that was the last game they played. So, so it, it's, And if the Giants can control that line or, or just be more, you know, not have the fire drill that most times when they played the Cowboys – I think we could, you know, we, we could do we could do better. So I just love to get you guys' comments on that. All right, Dave, appreciate the phone call. Before we get your comments, uh, Jeff, on the Dallas defensive front, I would also add, though, remember the Philadelphia defensive front has given the Giants a lot of problems, and we don't have an example of the Rams running down the throats of the Philadelphia Eagles. So you know that's another defensive front to me that throws a lot of curveballs with what Jim Schwartz operates on. So it's not just the focus on Dallas. And Washington also has beefed up its defensive mm-hmm. front. They've drafted over the last few years. So I would not overlook that group, too. But, you know, to me, what the Rams did and what Dave, the last caller, was touching on is, you know, that comes with film study. You sure. know, that Sean McVay 
picking up on things that he probably must have watched a boatload of Cowboys games. I mean, he even admitted, by the way, after the Super Bowl, that he watched too much film on the Patriots. And sometimes it come back to bite you. Yeah. He admitted that. And I, and I, you thought, overthink that, it. I thought that was refreshing because you don't hear most coaches when they look back and he said, you know what? I went too far back. I was so overwhelmed with everything New England was doing. But I guarantee you, they watched a number of Cowboys games. They picked up on tendencies. And to the caller's point, they made the necessary adjustments. And part of being a good coach and a good staff is knowing that your tendencies, your own tendencies. And that's why a lot of times the, these coaches self-scout each other. The offense will scout the defense. The defense scouts the offense internally so that you don't get too connected with yourself. you got to understand what you're doing as far as tendencies goes because other, team, other teams' coaches are all smart. They're, they're, they're brilliant. Coaches, NFL coaches are really, really good, smart guys. And they pick up on these things. And if you are have a tendency to do this, this, and this, and you're doing it all the time, they will find a way to figure it out, and they will, they will exploit it. That's what this game's all about, people. It's all about matchups and exploitation of your system. That's how you win games. And if you can't do it, then you're in for a real – got a tough game because the other team's trying to figure you out too – and now it's just a game of matchups. That's all the football is. And with respect to the Giants' offensive line, just from a positive outlook standpoint, yes, it's year two of the offense, which I think is going to help. But let's look at the offensive line personnel here, Jeff, which you were breaking down earlier. Will Hernandez had an entire year to adjust to the full speed of the NFL and also playing next to Nate Solder, right. understanding Solder's tendencies. Mm -hmm. That, I think, should help as they move into year right. two. Well, it should, it actually, and to interrupt you, no, no, those, no the, problem. That, it showed the second half of the season how actually Nate Solder played better the second half than did the first half because he actually was playing next to a rookie, and I'm sure that he was trying to help him out as much as he can. Compensate. And not only that, he was also learning his own business, and that is that he had number 10 behind him instead of number 12. Okay, so these were kind of things he was trying to figure out, and at the, at the same time, both of them, towards the second half of the season, started to play much better. So keep so going down the also getting back to full health, too, I yep. think is an yep. important oh, aspect. Sure. Now, the center position, we're going to see who wins the battle, but Pulley was out on the field for the majority of the season because mm -hmm. Jalapio got hurt so early. So if Pulley wins the job, now you have Hernandez comfortable with Solder to his left, Jeff, mm -hmm. and also comfortable with Pulley to his right. right. Okay. Now, the big thing is the right side of the line. You're going to have two new guys playing next to each other, whether Wheeler or Remmer starts at right tackle, none of them have played next to Zeitler. That's so right. that's going to be a new dynamic. And remember, last year, Jamon Brown came in, mm -hmm. and that was new. So Wheeler had to start playing next to somebody new. It was Omame and Flowers at the beginning. There was so much movement, is what I'm getting at, Jeff, yeah. that I think in the Giants' eyes, they're hoping this season – Hey, there's no guarantee everybody stays fully healthy. You can't ever think that you're going to have every offensive lineman yeah, the same unit for, for all 16, right? But you figure going in that there won't be so much musical chairs. You hope there not. will at least be more stability and with that, more yeah. comfort that ultimately should lead to better execution. We're only going based on what we're thinking, what we're seeing on paper. Yeah. We don't know how the season's going to play out. Nobody does. But that rationale, I think, is fair when you evaluate the offensive line again. Agree. Agree. And you have, some, you have some swing guys in there, too. You know, Wheeler, Wheeler's going to be a guy, if he doesn't start, to play right tackle, he'll play left tackle. You've got Jalapio, who can, who can play center, and he can also play guard if you need him. Yep. Okay? And then you're going to have some other guys in there. I don't know who they are because there's only going to be probably eight of them. And I think that, you know, you have some good depth there, which is a good thing. And you have some – to me, 
leadership and veteran presence on that offensive line is only going to help. But I, I'm just in, I'm very I'm very intrigued to see how this group works together quickly because you know it does take a little bit of time to have that familiarity of, with each other and that offensive line and that continuity as they say it takes a little bit of time and I think once you the faster you get that the more reps these guys are having together the more identifiable that the starting five who they are that they keep them in there whether it's OTAs and training camp or whatever they have to play along amongst each other and they also have to know multiple positions okay and that's the one thing about veteran offensive linemen if you look at if you look at um, Remmers, he played guard, okay, all of last season. So he is able to go ahead and get on there, and he can play guard if you needed to and have if in a pinch. I and have to move to the head right. out, Jeff, so we're going to have a substitution all right. here. Substitution time. Thanks, everybody. So that doesn't mean you have to leave. <laughs> now that just Schmelk's going to get here, you may want to leave. No, hi, John. How you doing? <laughs> um but we were just we were just getting on the on the we we're just talking about the offensive line the continuity John that things can come with and um, it's a good good time to me to have all of this veteran presence in that offensive line. So I got one important. word for you here, Jeff. What do you want, Johnny? Upgrade. Yeah, upgrade. That's a good one. Yeah, it's like going from business class or, or economy and getting upgraded to first class. You got the grumpy pants out of here. Yeah, yeah. I, well. I smile a little bit more. I'm a little more personable. And you know these guys. Um, one thing about veteran offensive linemen. No matter if you didn't, if they weren't teammates before, it's something about that group of guys who they instantly kind of camaraderize each other. It's like they all come together and they stick together. And it's like even they've only been together for like a week, you feel like they've been together for years. That's just the way they are. Those guys are just, you know, they eat together, they hang out together, they drink beers together, they do everything together. All right, Coors Light is the sponsor of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's finish off the show with your calls. I'm John Schmuck, by the way. Hi. What up, John? 939-4513. Uh, let's go to Charlie in Portland, Maine. Why not? Hi, Chuckles. Hey, John. I knew Lance would leave. That's great. Yeah, he knew you were on the line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, That's I got a couple of things. And, and, um, and, and by the way, folks, just Lance is not just sure. leaving. He has to, Evan Ingram's done with his meeting, so he has to record an Evan Ingram podcast. So that's he's ready to go. So that's why Lance had to go do that. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Well, a couple things. One thing we were talking about was OTAs. And the, and the thing is, OTAs are voluntary, period. No discussion. If nobody wants to show up, Nobody has to show up. Okay, I so mean, no, no, Charlie, that that's that no, that's true and it's fine, but it hurts the team. Well, then they should make it uh, mandatory. No, no, that's no, 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 Charlie, no, Charlie, it can be it can be voluntary and hurt the team not showing up at the same time. That's why it's called. I know, but but what I'm saying is, if you don't want it, if you want everyone to be there, then make it mandatory. Don't make it voluntary. You know, you can't coerce people. To be Charlie, you understand you that all the all, you understand all the coaches want they they would make it they would make it mandatory if if they yeah. could they it's, can't it's yeah. not up to the coaches yeah it's a collectively bargained item okay and it's an OTA you know what o, the O stands for it's not organized it stands for optional <laughs> I've always right. said it was optional exactly. training right. activity optional. and the other thing you were talking about was that you were talking about you know instant replay to me it's very simple get the play right. I don't care. It's not an. This is not to throw it on the coaches to see who's smartest coach who can save their flags and do it at the right time. That's not the point. The point is make the right 
call. No, but Charlie, do you want to have? Right yeah, do you want to yeah, have three and a half hour game? It's not it's... even that. But do you want the last two minutes of the game interrupted every other play for fifteen yeah, to no. twenty yeah. seconds to check for interference? Five minutes, if they're gonna no, get that, right, that, you're yeah. wrong. Yeah, you might be you. You might be fine with you, but not a lot of other people. Yeah, I'm but Charlie, telling you, it's and, just. And but Charlie, here's the thing, <laughs> well, and. Charlie, here's the I'm thing. Other no, but Charlie, here's <laughs> the thing, and, and I think Jeff can speak to this too. This isn't a situation where it's black and white, where either the guy steps out of bounds or doesn't step out of bounds. You're going to have contact between a corner and a receiver. But what counts as impeding? What counts as significant contact that, that warrants a flag? These are judgment calls that you're not going to know if the call's right, even if you go to replay half the time, because it's a judgment call on the official's part. It's not a black and white thing. The same thing with fouls in basketball. There's contact in every drive to the basket. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's necessarily a foul. So it can get very, very sloppy. I agree. Yeah, it could, but then they'll they'll work that out. They'll they'll get they'll tone it down. Oh, 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 oh yeah, be- because there's been no controversy with replay <laughs> without interference being involved. It's been smooth as can be. There's been no problem. They'll problems. figure it out. They'll figure hey, it all look, out. The whole point of it is to get it right. And I that's agree with that. Point. Yeah, and that's Period. fair. I agree with that. That's fair. Well, get get okay, the call. The get the hey, you know what? Get the about. get the call right that the coach challenges. How about that? That's what is that's what it's there for, right? Save your challenge and, uh, in the last two minutes. I, I don't think it should be thrown on the coaches. I just think it should get the call right. Okay. But anyway, and the other thing you were talking about, you were talking about the NFC. And the thing is, Philadelphia, you got Wurtz coming back. He hasn't been able to stay healthy one season. Or, this guy is Wentz. a big question mark. Or now who do they have behind us? They gave away their best quarterback, in my opinion, Foles, and they got this guy <laughs> who funny. can't stay on the team. So Philadelphia, to me, is a big question mark. Okay. Okay. Right, that's, that's fair fine. enough. And look, th- thanks, Joe. I appreciate the call. And look, and, whether Wentz can stay healthy is a fair question. And the, it's a the, fair question. And to, to, to catch you up, John, there was a caller that asked in, in the division where you see after the drafts and everything has gone, where the Giants fall in there. And, and Lance was basically saying he puts the two playoff teams in our division, okay, the Giants division, ahead of the, of the, uh, the Giants and the Redskins. That's what he was saying. I think so, that's fair. Yeah, and I agree. I think it's you, – you, you actually, you should give them a little bit of credit for making the playoffs, and they have a lot of their teams coming back. And by the way, Dallas and Philly have been pretty consistently in the playoffs over the last four years. And they have a lot of te- a lot of players coming back from those two teams. Or at least on the verge of being – Dallas missed it two years ago, but they still won nine games. You know, they've been 500-plus teams every year the last four or five years. Where, so. did, where did Warts come from? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he said warts. Like they got some warts on that team, you know. Like like I yeah, mean, it, it's I know. Wentz. See, Charlie. See, Jeff. To me, I think the easy way, and me and Paul are going to talk about this yesterday, but we got on other topics we never did. And I'll get to Jason and Marco very quickly in a second. In terms of replay, how I would do it: have the challenges work on their own. Have a separate challenge flag for pass interference. And here's the deal: you can challenge once. If you get it right during a game or just a two within the no, two minutes, the whole game. Okay. You can challenge once. If you get it right, you get the flag back. And you can challenge If you again. get it wrong, you lose it, and you're done. Okay? That's how I would do it. You keep it separate. That way, only egregious things are going to be reviewed. And that's why I think it's important to have the coaches have it be part of their challenge. And I, I, and this is, I don't know what the final rule is going to be. Did they announce a final rule today? Because I, I was out of practice. So the, what, what John was saying, or excuse me, what Lance was saying is that they are, they are, they are going away with the, the, t- the last two minutes. Well, I think that's important because otherwise you're going to look at every play. No, that's exactly yeah, right. It's too and hard. I, and you we, can't do it. I agree. And, and John, 
Lance and I were talking about the guy that's in the booth for New York that has the flicker. Mm-hmm. He's going to be looking for everything and going to be stopping yeah, the game and blah, 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 blah. And they do it in the CFL. They, and they had a guy, John, or uh, Lance had a guy from the CFL, and they said that's kind of been our – the guy up in the booth is ready to call the just, – just let it go. Yes. Let, the, let the coaches call it if they want and be done with it. All right, let's go to and, – and, and, again, if coaches are judicious with when they throw their flag, you'll have it when you have that well, you better horrible, have audacious play at the end of the game. And that's the thing. You just want to be able to fix the ridiculously missed calls. And if the coaches do it right, they will not throw that flag unless it's a ridiculously also, obviously missed call. There's some call. gamemanship here. you sure. got to be able to carry that flag into the last two minutes of the game and not make a stupid and throw. By the way, make sure you have a timeout left. That's right, because you can't throw it unless you have a timeout left. So what happens if you're calling timeouts to get the ball back? Things like go. that. That's what I'm saying. Tricky. There's a little yeah. bit more planning that goes into this. All right, let's go to Jason in North Carolina. Jason, what's up? Hi, Jason. Hey, how you doing? Good, uh, well. Yeah, this is Jason. I'm a first-time caller, man. Oh, I thanks for calling. About, I had a, a question about Corey Coleman. Everybody has seemed to forgot about him in the receiving core. I mean, he was a he was a first-round draft pick with the Browns. He, he bounced around, has had some, I guess, just locker room issues or coaching issues. Do you all think that he can uh, be a vital part of the offense this year? I do. I think he became last year. He he showed you that, you know, he kept his head on straight, if you will. And some of those things that have bothered him in the past didn't seem to rear their ugly head against the Giants organization. I think that I think he's a guy. He's a veteran. He's got some speed, and I think that he is athletically. He has all the tools. No he checks question. Every box. The question is, can he consistently play the game mentally the right way, mm-hmm. and can he catch the football? Because he's had drop problems. Yeah, well, Those are the two things he's got to fix, Jason, if he can. That third wide receiver spot is wide open in terms of competition, but he's got to clean up those two things. Yep. He's got a shot. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely glad you guys say that because I really think that he's, he's a sleeper. I think that he's a, he's a sleeper on the team that can really, you know, take the top off of the offense and really can, can surprise us. I hear you. I'll and, say this too, though, Jason. Remember, this is his fourth team. Three other teams have given up on him for a reason. Yeah, and I, but I okay. think, but I think that he, I think he likes it here, and I think that because of last year, he didn't, he didn't get any problems last year. That's mm-hmm. a good start mm-hmm. for him. That for coming off of being with four different teams and being a first round draft pick, uh, yeah, like John said, he's got all the physical and and skills, skill, school tools that you need. Hello, hello, but um, yeah, he just has to keep his mind in the game. That's the big thing. Oh. So, okay, I have one more question. Sure. What? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead, Jason. I got one more question. Um, and with Evan Egram, with Odell not being there and, you know, having Tate and, and Sterling Shepard, what do you think is a is a good goal or or uh, how many receptions do you think would be great for Evan Egram now that, I mean, he, he's, he's in a bigger role. There's more, you know, he has a chance to catch more receptions yep. and, to, and to do more. Sure. I think he's a, a, a big part of it this year, too. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate the call. Um, I'm not that concerned, Jeff, with number of receptions. Okay. Well, I'm more concerned with yards and right. touchdowns. Okay. Well, I mean, and if, of course, if you get that type of production, you don't catch 60 balls. That's fine. Um, I would say minimum. I would say I would hope for 60 catches, and I want over 900 yards. That's I want what I'm health. looking for. I want health. Well, in order to get the 6,900, yeah. he's going to have to be healthy, right? If he's healthy, and like he was the last four or five games of the season, I think you can have you're going to see Evan Ingram have his best year, okay? And certainly they're going to use him in a way that's going to uh, help him. 
And I think that the middle of that field is where his, you know, where the, his bread and butter is going to come from, but health. And I I agree with John. He doesn't have to catch 80 balls. Okay. If he catches 55 and has nine touchdowns and a thousand yards. Okay. And I think Ingram is going to be more of a big play threat. I don't think he's going to be this check down tight end. I think he's going to be a down the field, run the seam, stretch the defense. Fine. You know, remember he had four four speed, so he can he can stretch now. Yeah. So if he comes out of the season with sixty catches, nine hundred yards, and eight touchdowns, yeah, I would like to see boom. him more utilized in the red zone um, because I of agree. his height. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know the other guys that are on that receiving end, they're not big guys. So he isn't. He's a tall dude. But I agree with John. You get him in some space and let him make some plays in the open field because he can use that four four speed. And I just want him to stay healthy. He's tough to cover, man. He really he's is. A, he's tough. He's to like cover. a big. He's like a big receiver. But he, you know, he's getting better in the blocking. He's getting better there, so they're not going to move him out of that position. I know a lot of people want to no, move no, him no, outside, no. but you're not going to do it. You can split him outside, but he's still playing tight end. Absolutely. All right, final call of the show is our buddy Marco up in Connecticut. Hey, Marco. Hi, Marco. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, so, Landon Collins, um, I got a like a comment and a question for you guys, but the, the comment first is more like the off the field. Lately, he's just everywhere. Um, I like Landon. I, I really liked him as a giant, and I, I have no problems with him now, man. But it seems like um, he, he sound, he's coming across very bitter, and I usually don't I don't care about like outside noise, but he's coming across very bitter. And I know he made a comment a while back that he wanted to uh, he wanted to be a giant for the rest of his career. He made that pretty clear. Yeah. So it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But here's my comment, though. And this, and this is where I start to get real a little aggravated because it makes uh, Gettleman and, like, what's going on with the Giants, it makes, them, it makes everyone sound crazy, and I don't think they are. Like, for Landon to say, like, oh, there's a lot of players that have been let go there and they traded their top wide receiver. Like, and I, I made this point with the safety market. Like, Landon was one of how many safeties that were on the open market this year. And, and I don't feel like a lot of people are making that clear that it's the – I think it's the NFL, like just defense in general, of where they prioritize. 100%. Posi- positional value that does not get brought up. And, and I think if it did maybe a little bit more, there would be more of um, – I get what the Giants are doing there. You know, like Landon Collins was like – I mean, I can name Matt Dow or, or he signed with another team. Earl Thomas didn't get brought back in Seattle. Um the, uh, the good safety in Baltimore, I forget his name, but now he's Waddle. at the Rams. Yeah, I mean, and, and go on and on. I mean, there's some younger players, too, that are around Landon's age. But if you guys want to comment on that, feel free to. But I had a question about... Uh, no, look, Marco, the- Marco, look, all right. And, and, I, and I think I've tried to, to make that point on the show a lot. And to me, Landon Collins at all, they let me go because of culture. I don't think that's the case. I don't think Landon Collins was let go because there was a culture problem with him. To me, he got let go. Because you're looking at the production per dollar you're going to get out of a guy that's a run-stopping safety that struggles to cover and isn't the best coverage guy in the world. And I think they wanted to use that money elsewhere. I really think it's that simple, Jeff. No question. Listen, this, this, this league is all about money. And they didn't want to pay him the money. I mean, they didn't even want to give him the, the franchise tag money, okay? so And I feel like if there was just going to be a struggle there, hold out. This kind of stuff, it could have been just crazy in the media. All that kind of went into it. Bottom line was they just said, you know what? We're not interested anymore. Go out and get in heat. By the way, he didn't do too bad. No, he did really well. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, I, I want to say one other thing about it too. The, the first thing is 
Landon has been known to say some stuff in the media. Even when he was here, he had those comments on in radio interviews talking about teammates, which I know, you know, maybe he was yeah. being honest and maybe he was right in the end, but doesn't mean you go out there and you say those things either. And number two, I have trouble taking him too seriously about the team communicating well with him and, oh, they didn't give me the respect that I need. When he basically, along with his agent, faked cleaning out his locker and storming out of here saying, I'm not going to play in the franchise tag before free agency starts and making a spectacle of himself, <laughs> which is basically what he did and purposely leaked it to the media that he did it to put pressure on the Giants. And then they asked him after free agency, oh, well, would you have played in the franchise tag? And he says, oh, well, I guess we'll never know. When your agent said publicly you weren't going to do it, so that I have yeah. a, that I have a little bit of trouble taking be, yeah. seriously. Be careful a bit. what you hear. Correct. <laughs> hey, uh, per- perfectly said there, John. Um, so now, now a question more about Betcher's defense was um, we, you know, like good coaches, especially especially the Patriots, they find a way to bring guys in and they cater to their skill set. Yes. Not make a okay. So. Did, what what kind of fit was Collins in Betcher's defense, and specifically, what is he looking for from the safeties that maybe he had with like um, Dion Buchanan or uh, Tyron Matthew? Is, is that something that Collins was it doing? Like was Collins playing out of position? I, I and are they going to be able to get it out of uh, Jabril Peppers, whatever it is? It is that he does look for. Seeing, seeing, coverage. Yeah, coverage. exactly. Seeing, coverage. I appreciate it, Marco. And Jeff hit it. Look, you need your down safety to be able to stop the run, yes, but you, you also that need well. that guy to be able to line up in the slot or on a tight end and cover him. He didn't do that well. And that's what Tyron Matthew did for them. Yeah, and listen, Antoine, but they have, I mean, the guys, he, he's he's around around the ball a lot. Deep okay. zone guy, yeah. Jabril Peppers is a playmaker, okay? Um, obviously, you know, they're not the same type of positional players, but I mean, listen, Jabril will be a he can he can make tackles, but he's he's a, a great athlete back there. So I think that you're getting the two veterans for the price of one that you would have had to pay that it wasn't a good coverage guy. There's your rationale. And by the way, I just want to be clear: we're not saying Landon Collins isn't a good football player. We've no, said we, it here a long time that he's a very good football player, and for the right price, I'm sure there was a way for him to be back here. But that he's, just never he, came to he's be. He's one of the top 15 players and the defensive players paid in the National Football League. For a so, reason. For a reason. He's good. Okay? But he's just not he's not in the plans for one organization. That's just and, and he's he's like like a lot of other players, okay? That just wasn't in the plans. They didn't want to do this. They didn't want to do that. You know, and Dominic and Sue, where, where's he? He wasn't in the plans. I mean, this is like I mean, Jerome McCoy's a good player. He just got let go. There you go. I mean, a perennial all-pro guy. Just let just you know, it's just not gonna happen. And it happens with safeties a lot. Safeties change yeah. teams. And just players kind of I goes. know are very mm-hmm. sensitive. It happens, guys. Correct. It really is. And you know what? And when you have a goal and especially in, in this era to play with one team your whole career, God bless you, but it's probably gonna be pretty tough. And Dave Gettleman has said it. When he talks business and negotiates with guys, it's time to put your big boy pants on. I think that direct approach when it comes to football matters. Some players yeah. like to have soft landings on things like that, yeah. and I'm not sure if Dave provides those. Anyway, and, guy, and guys are sensitive to yep. the fact, and they and don't, I get it. They, I understand. They, it. Absolutely, but you know, it's um, it's a business, folks. It's a business, and if you're in it for long enough, you'll realize that that things just can't always be hunky dory. Well, let me ask you real quick before we say goodbye. I don't kill Cohen here, but as a player, did you mind if the GM was maybe a little terse or direct with you? If he was at least being honest and you knew exactly where you stood? See, here's the thing. I would I would have taken that in a minute. Well, that's what I'm asking. I you. would love to have 
the transparency, if you will, and have the the uh, truthfulness. But that's not how it always goes in this business. <laughs> you know, they'll look you in the eye sometimes and, and think that you're they're, you're being truth. They're being truthful and they're lying to you completely. I rather have somebody tell me that you know what, Jeff, we're going to go in a different direction, or you need to step it up, or rather than undermine. Me. And and that's my sense with Dave that he's pretty direct and honest, right? Absolutely. Right. And you know what? And the problem is is because he is the players don't want some guys don't want to know the truth. They want to have everybody think, you know, he wants, to, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. You know, you're really not. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, buddy. You know, oh, really? I thought I was. No, you're not. You're not doing that good. Okay. You need to pump it up a little bit. You need to step it up or we're not going to re-sign you. Oh, okay. Great. And you get, then there's a little bit of, you know, we're going to bring in some competition, those kinds of things. Answer your question. Yes. I would rather somebody tell me I'm not doing well and you better kick it up a notch rather than not say anything to me at all and then fire me the next day. Jeff, enjoy your golf filled Memorial Day weekend. Oh my gosh. How many times yes. are you getting out? Zero right now. I have <gasps> nothing planned. I'm still in, oh, in wow. work mode right now. Okay. Well, good yeah, luck. And have enjoy fun. too. Yeah. Uh, no show tomorrow, right? I was about to go there. Thank you, Jeff. You're There's welcome. no show tomorrow. There's no show on Monday, but I am going to turn around this Evan Ingram podcast for either later today or tomorrow morning. So make sure you check that out for your uh, Giants listening pleasure. Over the weekend, the Giants Huddle Podcast, yeah. which can be found on all your favorite podcast platforms as well as Giants.com. Enjoy the start of the summer. For Jeff Fiegels and for Lance Meadow, I am John Schmelk. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you next time. Adios.